We started last week um, in 2 Peter, and we'll probably get to 2 Peter this morning as well. Um, but with this question of assurance of salvation, God wants us to know that we're saved. God wants every human being to live with the comfort in their heart that they know God and that when this life is over, they'll enter heaven. God doesn't want anyone um, living in worry or living in fear that they're going to go to hell when they die. God wants, um, God wants us to know for sure we're going to heaven. However, um, um, there's a difference between eternal security. Eternal security happens the moment you believe. The moment you believe. Assurance of salvation is something inside of us um, that's a byproduct and what we'll learn from second peter it's a byproduct of growing in the knowledge of god and his promises and it's also a byproduct of growing in the christian faith it's, it's possible for a christian to live a barren life an unfruitful life it's even possible for a Christian to forget that they were forgiven of all of their sins. And God doesn't want us to live with those insecurities. But if we don't grow in our knowledge, um, if we don't have a full discernment of what we have in Jesus Christ, um, the devil can come and put thoughts in our minds and he can, um, he can cause us to, to have worries and doubts about our salvation. The devil is a slanderer. He lies about God, and he, he lies about God to us. And, but if we don't know his truth, we can believe his lies. And so um, that's kind of the theme where we're heading today. But I, I, want, I want you to look at this story in the gospel, Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. Now, a Pharisee was a religious leader, someone that went to the synagogue all the time, memorized the Bible, and he desired for Jesus to come to his house and eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, she, was, she had a sinful sexual past, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Does anybody wish in their heart that they had that kind of love for Jesus? Is there anyone here today that would, would like that kind of emotional response to the love of God? I know I would. Sometimes my heart feels cold or, or kind of dead 
And I know these things factually, but I want them here. I want them here. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake with himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Basically, the Pharisee said, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her anywhere, he wouldn't let her anywhere near him. But the fact is, Psalms 139 tells us that God knows every word that comes out of our mouth and every thought that goes through our mind, every action that we've ever done, good and bad. God knows it all. God knew everything about this woman. And when she brought this precious ointment, this very expensive ointment, and when she anointed his feet and washed his feet with her hair and and wept before him, Jesus knew everything about her. And folks, Jesus knows everything about us. And he still loves us. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And folks, as Christians, that's the way we need to be toward other people. As you walk through this life, you will hurt people. You will offend people. You will sin against people. And people will sin against you. Some will sin against you maybe just 50 pence. They they may cut you off in traffic. They may be ugly and unkind to you. And there may be some that committed crimes against you. But Jesus, he forgives us all. He forgives us all. And God has record of all of our sins. All of our sins. And yet he was willing to forgive us all of our sins. And if we had a a perfect accounting of all of our sins against God, that list would be so long compared to the list of others' sins toward us. And out of that grace that God has forgiven us, we can forgive other people. But he asked asked Simon a question. He says, tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Which of him will love him most? The one that was forgiven 50 pence or the one that was forgiven 500 pence? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. Thou hast rightly judged. The person that's forgiven most will love him the most. 
Well, this is where we've got to see our own self-righteousness. Some of us may answer, well, I'm not that bad of a person. So I, I never, I'll never have the opportunity to love Jesus that much because I'm... But I, I think if we'll let the Holy Spirit show us our hearts and our lives, we'll all be able to make the assessment, Jesus has loved me the most. Jesus has forgave me the most. Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom that he forgavest most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou, thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. This morning I want to show you some scriptures about the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God. We are told in 2 Peter chapter 1, we are, we, we are told to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. Diligence means to make an effort, to exert oneself, to use speed. It means putting our mind to it. And in that passage of scripture, it teaches us that we need, we need to be diligent to know. And we need to be diligent to grow. Diligent to know, to know means a full discernment, a precise and correct knowledge. You see, when, when, when a person comes to Christ, it's probably when they know the least. And I'm so thankful that Jesus saves when our understanding is the least. But he wants us to grow in our understanding and knowledge of what happened when you believed. And when you grow in that knowledge, you'll also grow in your love. If you're going to enjoy the assurance of salvation, you must be diligent to know, to acquire a full discernment and a precise and correct knowledge of the exceeding great and precious promises that we received 
the moment we believed on Jesus Christ as Savior. There's someone here this morning that this week put their faith and trust in Jesus as their only hope of going to heaven. And you know, at that moment, that person got all of the great and precious promises. They have all the promises that, that my wife has. She was saved as a nine-year-old and has lived for Jesus all of those years. Now, she's not been perfect, but she's lived for Jesus all of those years. But guess what? God doesn't love my wife more than that person that just got saved this week. God loves that person that got saved this week just as much as my wife. My wife is no more special than that person. God's love is abundant, and it's for all people. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved those that were saved when they were young and grew up in a Christian home and never wandered from God. God loves those people. But those people that are far from God, away from God, God loves them too. Now, he won't force his way into anyone's life. I'll be sharing the gospel with someone this afternoon. And guess what? Jesus isn't going to force their way into that person's life. But he'll give them the opportunity. God loves that person just as much as the person, if, if they accept the Lord, that he loves them. If, he, if they don't accept him, he loves them. The sad thing is they won't acquire eternal life. They won't acquire forgiveness of sins if they reject Jesus. But the offer is to everyone. It's to everyone. Do you realize that when you believed on Christ, all your sins were forgiven? Past, present, and future. Do you realize everyone in this room, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. All of our sins were future sins. All of them. And when Jesus died on that cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. It is finished. He paid the price for all of our sins 2,000 years ago. You know, the Bible also teaches us in Revelation chapter 20 that at the end of time, there's going to be a great judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. And the dead, small and great, are going to stand before God. And books are going to be opened. And the dead, people that are dead, people that don't have eternal life, they are going to be judged out of those books according to their works. All of their works are written down. Guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you won't be at that judgment. You know why? Because Jesus took all of those sins that are recorded 
and he nailed them to his cross. Isaiah chapter 53 says he put them on his back. He bore them for you and for me. All of them. Every last one of them. Look at, look at Acts chapter number 3. Acts chapter number 3. Here in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John perform a miracle. There's a lame man sitting at the temple, begging, and they say, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we unto you. And what did they give him? They gave him the gospel. And that, that, that lame man believed, and that lame man was healed, and... Um, Everybody knew it was a miracle because he had been sitting there for years begging at the temple. And then Peter began preaching to the crowd that was amazed by this miracle. In verse 11, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, and all the people ran together unto them into the, in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering, and when Peter saw it, he answered the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just. Jesus was holy and he was just. And they desired a murderer to be granted unto, them, unto you and killed the Prince of Life. They had Jesus crucified. But look what it says. Whom God hath raised from the dead. They crucified him, but God raised him back to life. And it says, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given, hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. They were... They were pointing people to Jesus Christ. They said, this man was healed, not because of our power, but because of Jesus's power. This man was forgiven, not because of our power, but because of Jesus's power. And he said, and now, brethren, I wot. And that word wot says, I know, it means I know. I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. You know, and then, they, then, they, then Peter said, and guess what? What Jesus did on that cross, yes, you did it, but it was part of God's plan, and it was prophesied. And Jesus said, I lay down my life. Yes, he was physically put on the cross by the Roman soldiers, but if he hadn't let them, it would have never happened. He's the creator of the universe. 
He laid down his life for us as was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then it says in verse 18, but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye. The word repent means to agree with. It means a change of mind. And be converted. Turn. That your sins may be blotted out. What happens when you turn to Jesus Christ, agree with God about your sin, agree that you're under God's judgment, and you turn to Jesus Christ in that very moment, your sins are blotted out. To blot out means to smear out. It means to obliterate. I like that word. Obliterate. It means to wipe them out. It happens the moment you believe. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are blotted out. Now go to Colossians chapter number 2. A lot of people have this philosophy. It's the philosophy I had as an Anglican boy. Now, folks, there's no denomination that takes you to heaven. You can be an Anglican and be saved. I believe it's possible for anybody in any denomination to be saved. The sad thing about my childhood in the Anglican church was I was taught a philosophy. I don't remember anybody sitting me down and saying, this is the way to heaven. But I do remember conversations as like an eight, nine-year-old boy, 10-year-old boy with my cousin. And the question was raised, Kelly, do you think I will go to heaven? And she said, well, you're a good kid. Yeah, you'll go to heaven. And she would ask me, do you think I'll go to heaven? I said, yeah, you're a good kid. You'll go to heaven. We had the philosophy that by our good works, we could somehow appease God. A lot of people have this philosophy. If I got more good works on the scale than bad works, I'm a good person and God lets good people to heaven. The Jewish people were given a law. They were given a moral law, and they were given a ceremonial law. Someone has counted them all and said there's 612, Pastor Tyler? or Something like that. Check Brother Yates. I don't know. It's 600 and something laws in the Old Testament. Some of them are moral laws, and some of them have to do with the ceremonial laws of how their sins could be forgiven, how they could, how they could bring offerings and be acceptable to God through offerings. Um, the Ten Commandments are part of God's moral law. All of us are familiar with those. I've asked people before, um, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And people have said, yes, I'm sure I'll go to heaven. And the second question I ask, why? And some people have told me, 
while I keep the Ten Commandments? Well, when, when God gave all of these laws to the children of Israel, you know what the children of Israel did? The children of Israel, they made this commitment to God. Exodus 24, 3. Just listen. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. All 612 laws. And all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. They made a commitment. We are going to keep all of these laws. Well, you don't have to be a very deep thinker, a very um, studious Bible student to read the Old Testament to find out that the nation of Israel did not fulfill their commitment. They were miserable failures. They were miserable failures. Now, Paul, who was uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he couldn't, he couldn't have done any more to try to fulfill the laws of God. But you know what he said about the laws of God in, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 10? He said, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Yes, the, God's laws, if followed, bring blessings and bring life. But because all of us have been marred by Adam's sin nature, the Bible says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We all are sinners by nature. And our very best efforts to try to keep God's commandments only prove that we can't keep God's commandments. Those things which we hoped would bring life end up condemning us and bringing death. And every Jewish person who signed that contract and said, I'm going to keep that covenant, every one of them failed. Look at, look, look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened. The word quickened means he made you alive. We were dead in our sins, but when we believed... He made us alive, having forgiven you, what's it say there? All trespasses. It doesn't say just some, it says all. And look what it says, 
blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The handwriting, that word, is a, it means a loan agreement. When you, when you sign a loan agreement, the bank gives you money, you sign on the dotted line promising to give the money back. And when all the money is paid back, they write an X on it and write paid in full. Okay, if we make some sort of an agreement with God, God, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I go to church. I'm going to heaven because I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I keep the Ten Commandments. And we sign an agreement with God. Guess what? You'll never fulfill it. And that agreement you made, instead of taking you to heaven, that agreement you made will take you to hell. If you think you're going to heaven because you're good or because you try to keep God's commandments, you know what's going to happen? You're going to stand at the great white throne judgment. God's going to get your agreement out. God's going to get his laws out. And he's going to start examining your life. And guess what? You're guilty. The only way you can escape that, that contract that you made, look at who, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. When you believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all of your trespasses are forgiven. And that foolish notion that you could work your way to heaven, that foolish notion that you think you could be good enough to be acceptable to God, that is nailed to the cross. Jesus said, I'll take care of both ends of that bargain. Because the law, the Bible tells us that the law, if we look into the law, it says in Romans 3.19, now we know that what, th what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Have you looked into God's law and admitted, I'm a sinner? Have you looked into God's law and admitted, you deserve God's punishment, you deserve hell? And have you looked up to Jesus as the only solution for your sin. Christ's sacrifice was one sacrifice for all of time. Before Christ came, the, the children of Israel had to bring sacrifices daily and yearly to have their sins forgiven, but every year or every time they sinned, they were brought up again. There was a remembrance of their sin all the time through the sacrificial system. But Jesus Christ, he died once for all. Look at Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter number um, 10. Yeah, Hebrews chapter number 10. It says in verse 10, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. Those sacrifices would never make them perfect. Now, what did those people desire? Verse 2, for then would they have not ceased to be offered? For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. You see, that's what we have in Jesus Christ. No more conscience of sins. Look at verse number three. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Look at verse number number 14. This is talking about Jesus. For by one offering... One offering, one offering on the cross. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Who are those that are sanctified? Those that have believed on Jesus Christ. They are set apart for Christ. And it says, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. An amazing thing happens when you believe. God puts his laws, and God puts his ways into our minds. And he says, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. He never remembers them. You say, Pastor, I'm always feeling guilty. I'm always feeling condemned. Well, we're listening to the devil. Because the Bible says, Christ doesn't remember those sins anymore. There's a song that we sing sometimes. I don't know if we sing it at church, but my wife and I have sung it at home or listened to it. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. They're forgiven. Past, present, and future. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. No, that's a misquote. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at Romans 4. This will be the last passage. Romans 4. 
In verse 1, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. If Abraham was justified by works, he could get to heaven and say, I'm here because I left the Ur of the Chaldees. I'm here because when Lot went down to Sodom, I didn't go down to Sodom. I'm here because I believed God when I was an old man that um, we would have a child. He could brag about himself. But look at verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That word counted means imputed. Righteousness was put on Abraham's account in Genesis chapter 15. And you read about the life of Abraham, and he made a lot of, he, he made a lot of sins between Genesis 15 and the end of his story. But when he believed, he was justified. Look at verse 6. Even, uh, actually, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. What does God want? God wants every sinner to believe on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what, that's what God wants. And when that sinner believes on Jesus, they are justified. What does it mean to be justified? Look, look at verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The word blessedness means the happiness of the man to whom God puts righteousness on your account without works. Do you realize the moment you believe righteousness, Christ's righteousness is imputed to your account? Before you have a chance to do one good work. You say, but I, I was a smoker. And, um, and, you know, I, I believed on Jesus, but I didn't give up my cigarettes right away. Guess what? You got Jesus' righteousness before you got to give up the cigarettes. You got all of it. You mean, you mean I'm righteous and I smell like a chimney? Yep, you're righteous. Because you got Jesus' righteousness the moment you believe. This is even more awesome. It says, um, verse number seven, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. When you believe on Jesus Christ, you are given righteousness. And guess what? Your future sins can't even be written down against you. They can't even be written down against you. Wow. Now let's go back in our mind to the woman who enters Jesus' house. 
falls at his feet, breaks that alabaster box, weeps and cries and washes his feet. She's so full of thankfulness because she had been forgiven much. When I was 13, or almost 13 years old, I was a little thief. My mind was full of lustful thoughts. I was proud. I disobeyed my parents. If I went to court and God was the, God was the, the prosecutor, he'd have every proof that I was a sinful young boy, even though I thought I was a good kid. But you know what? After I believed in Jesus, I was a teenager. And I still struggled with lustful thoughts. I didn't always have a good attitude toward my parents. I even have a bad memory of of swearing at my mom. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Oh, and I wouldn't want them on the witness stand. They know all of my they they know all of my sins at home, the times I lost my temper, the times I was selfish, the times I was unkind. But guess what? Jesus forgave me for all of them the moment I believed. And this realization, we need to ask God to to show our heart so that we can be like this woman and truly give thanks because we are all truly great sinners. Great sinners. And guess what? Our life is not over. There's going to be more sins down the road. You say, but but pastor, isn't that going to... Isn't that going to produce a reckless type of Christianity? Actually, it has the opposite effect. Do you see this woman at Jesus' feet saying, Oh, I can't wait to go out and be a harlot again. I'm so glad Jesus forgave me so I can keep being a harlot. Oh, no. She was so thankful that God rescued her from that life. And 1 John chapter 3 says that, I just don't want to say it wrong. First John chapter 3. Look, look at this. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. He knew all about my teenage sins. He knew all about my married sins. He knew all about my fatherly sins. He knows all about the sins of my heart. He knows about all of them but he forgave me for all of them. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, 
and it does, doth not yet appear what we shall be. Guess what? God walked with you this week. He knows every good thing you did and every, every way you messed up and failed this week. It, doth, it does not yet appear what we shall be. There's coming a day when we're in heaven when we'll have no more struggle with sin. But the Bible says, but, but we know that. But we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, every woman, every boy, girl, teenager that has this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. This love, this love that is incomprehensible, this forgiveness that is perfectly complete, it promotes a love response and it pr promotes a desire to be pure. It does. It does. I struggled as a teenager with, with wanting to view sexual things. But you know, I didn't want to stay there. I didn't want to stay there. And you know what? By the time I was finished Bible college, God gave me the victory over those things. Before I got to Bible college, he gave me the victory over those things. Who gave me that desire? Jesus gave me that desire on the inside. What helped me conquer it? God's word. It, it, the Bible also says, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. There were people in my life that I said, I'm struggling with this. And you know, they prayed for me. God gave me that hope. God gave me that desire. But I'm so thankful. He didn't, he didn't cast me into hell because I struggled with that sin as a teenager. I'm glad his forgiveness was complete. Folks, let us see ourselves as God sees us, forgiven and loved and pure, and white. You say, but I, I got so many black marks in my heart. If you're a believer, they don't show up on God's radar. Yes, he wants to lead you out of them. He wants to bless you in this life. Sin in this life will bring consequences. It brings death. It brings destruction. It brings a lot of, and God wants to lead you out of them. But he doesn't want you pulling around a chain of guilt. He set you free the moment you believed. So Christian, let's ask, let's ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be like that woman that, that just worships you from a, from a heart overflowing with gratitude. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us Love God like that. And if you're here 
and you're in some sort of agreement with God that, that your good works are going to somehow get you to heaven, would you repent of that today and put your faith in Jesus and ask him to wash all your sins away?